Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everybody. It's Russ from My Hammers 11. I hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hitting the bell icon so you're notified any time we put new content on. We've got videos going up daily, but sometimes two, three times a day, and every one's brilliant. Every memory, every story is fantastic, and I wouldn't want you to miss any of them, so please make sure you hit that bell icon. As I said, we've got loads of great guests coming up, uh, including today's guest. Um, he was a rock journalist photographer. Now he's a martial arts instructor. Um, and also he was one of the founders of the Fortunes Always Hiding fanzine, which was one of sort of the, the, the earliest and the best fanzines around. Um, you'll also know him on Twitter. He's North Bank Norman. It's Steve Rapport. Hi, Steve. How are you? All right, mate. How are you? Not bad. How's, uh, I know everyone says it, but how's lockdown treating you? I'm actually kind of enjoying it um, because I've been getting into my library, my photo library, and um, doing a lot of projects, uh, working on a lot of projects based around the 80s bands that I took pictures of uh, 100 years ago. I guess it's not really 100, but it feels like it. So like I'm working on a damned book slash magazine um, with Hanging Around Books. It's a Scottish guy called Ronnie Gurr, used to be a, a journalist at Record Mirror, selling a lot of pictures of The Clash and, and finding all these... Uh, pictures in my garage that I'm scanning and uh, didn't know I'd taken. Really? Um, wish I could go on about for ages, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that, it's been, you know, I've got the time, so it's been yeah, it's been exactly. nice. Um, my my photos were in my friend's garage in Oxfordshire, and since '92, uh, and I got them about two and a half years ago, three years ago. Um, so I'm still going through them and and uh, scanning them and hopefully selling them, uh, yeah. doing deals and doing magazines and trying to do a book and yeah, it's fun. Yeah, no, but, I've, I've, I've seen your, football again. Exactly. Yeah. Football's coming soon. Uh, I've, I've seen on Facebook, your, uh, you know, your, your first sort of magazine type book uh, that sold well. Uh, well, I, I think I was just telling you, I sold, um, sold a bunch of them just now cause I, I found I still had 10, I, I ordered 10 more, um, yeah. at this magazine. I, I made it myself on blurb.com and, um, I sold 16, and 13 of them have been paid for. And I just looked through the list of the 13, nine are to West Ham fans. Um, okay. You know, I left 28 years ago. So it's, it's, it's pretty funny that even after all this time, 
no, that's still my circle of friends. Um, yeah, that's I what football it. does it for you, right? It is, and that and that's what comes through in all these interviews. Obviously, we've had you, we've had your sister on, so uh, <laughs> it's ain't natural to get the big man small on. World. But small world, very very small world, smaller than I realised it would be. Um, yeah. And and but you wouldn't want to, but you wouldn't want to wallpaper it. <laughs> that's the thing you're right it's like the West Ham community the West Ham family that's the main thing and football is lucky enough because we're not very good at it. it's, it's, all, it's secondary isn't it to everything to, right. Um, right. And, and, and that's what comes through and you know out of this I mean <clears throat> this whole process this whole project I've, I've made some really new friend, nice new friends who you know I'm, I'm trying to get your sister to knit me a, knit me a scarf um, or a hat. <laughs> she probably will <laughs> she will she will <laughs> She will think I've made a YouTube star now. So uh, no, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I liked her hair actually. I, I haven't. Yeah. I was just watching it and I haven't had a chance to tell her yet. But um, she was she was complaining about her hair. I, th- I, looked, I thought it looked fantastic. Everyone was saying that how lovely your hair looked, but uh, yeah, I mean, it needs must nowadays, isn't it? I mean, I've had to. I mean, you've got a problem. I've grown much. Longer, I've, I've grown mine. I've grown mine out. Yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see the, you've got relaxed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a yeah. relaxed look. I can see that. <laughs> For those you don't know, Steve is uh, Steve is in Pacifica, California, um, so it's uh, that's why I'm at night, and he's, he's looks like it's nice and hot over there. Um, nice day, yeah. Yeah, good. We've had a nice day but here. Although, Pacific yeah. Pacific Ocean is right. Is right. Um, there. Oh wow! There you go. Not too bad. That's the ocean, mate. See, I don't have to drive to South End on a Sunday to see the ocean, which is nice. God bless South End. One day and go back and have a Rossi's ice cream. One day. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Saw the faces at the Cursor once, long, long time ago. Oh wow! 1972, I think. Found out that Pete May went to that same gig. Really? Oh, so weird! All these stories, isn't it? Intertwined in in West Ham, sort of the fabric of West Ham. I absolutely love it. Steve, so it, obviously you've been a West Ham fan, an experienced fan, I can't say, um, for a while. Um, how did it all start for you? Why did you become a West Ham fan? Well, I mean, it's going to be a bit boring because my sister just kind of told you everything. But um, my dad was born in 1919 in Canningtown, like Michelle said. Yeah. And he went to his first game in 1924. And he's, you know, uh, grew up, he grew up in uh, Whitechapel. Yeah. Um, in fact, the street that he lived in with my grandma and my aunt, um, that was the scene of one of the Jack the Ripper murders. Ah. But you didn't know that, did you? No. And then later on, Michelle and her daughter, my niece Madeline, they lived in a flat in that same street. It was Henrietta Street, formerly Burner Street. So it was the Jewish East End. It was the heart of the Jewish East End. It's a, about two, what we call them blocks over here, but it was very close to Cable Street. And in 1936, my dad was actually one of the one of the Jewish residents of the East End who uh, said they shall not pass when the when the black shirts, the fascists were trying to march through the Jewish neighborhood. They stood in the middle of the street on Cable Street. and That was the Cable Street riots. My old man was part of that. He was a bit of a he was a bit of a menace when he was younger, literally ran away to sea when he was 16. But he was a mad hammer and his brother, my that I, my middle name is after is Jack that Michelle was talking about. My middle name's Jack. Jews don't name their children after living relatives, only after deceased relatives. So um, he was the footballer. And like Michelle said, he was offered terms for West Ham, but he had a trade. And, uh, you know, they got like £2.50 £2. 50 a week to play football and he was making, I don't know, £3.50 a week. I thought he was an electrician, but 
he, he died a long, 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 long time ago. Yeah. Um, he's a bit of a, uh, a bit of a war hero. He got some medals from the war as well. But uh, he was the one that I took after. You know, he played cricket and football, and um, that's somehow they knew I was going to be the sportsman in the family and named me after him. Um, so they were all hammers. And um, even though my dad's brother, they didn't talk very much. Eddie was a bit of an odd guy, but they used to go to West Ham together. So they'd always see each other at West Ham every mm -hmm. week. And dad took me to my first game. So this was a bit um, weird because I thought it was 1962 against Blackburn Rovers at Christmas. Um, and it turns out that there's a reason. I'll get to that in a second. But I knew that I'd seen West Ham against Ipswich. And for decades, literally decades, I thought that my first game was 1962 West Ham Blackburn. Um, but it turns out, I remember we had a 2-2 draw with Ipswich that I went to, but that was in 1962 season. The 63 game, which would be the 63-64 season, was the game where we lost 8-2 at home to Blackburn Rovers. And that accounts for a lot. So if you wonder why, you know, I'm more inclined to pick a worse West Ham 11 than a best West Ham 11, or why Fortune's Always Hiding was as fucking miserable as it was. It's got a lot, a lot to do with that foundational experience as a six-year-old going to West Ham, so excited to see your first game, or at least looking back, I thought that was my first game, and seeing us get beaten at home 8-2 by the league leaders. And then, of course, the next day, because this was Christmas Day, 1963, you played Christmas Day and Boxing Day home and away. Blackburn were top of the league. We went up to, where was it, Ewood Park the next day, mm. the mm. Sunday, I think, and we beat them, I think, 5-1. And that's West Ham, right? So that, was, that was what I grew up with. You, you know, we beat Fulham 7-2. We beat Fulham 6-1. We beat Sunderland, like Michelle said, 8-0. We beat Newcastle 10-0. But then we beat 3-0 up against Stoke and we'd lose or we'd draw. Mm. And uh, that, was, that was the 70s. That was the 60s and 70s growing up with West Ham. But that was my whole being was everything was geared towards Saturday, three o'clock yeah. football. Yeah. That was all I wanted, all I dreamt of. And, and my number 10 shirt was actually a Jeff Hurst shirt, although he's generally known as a number nine. Braidwood Boyce, Burnhurst Sissons was the forward line. So Jeff Hurst was the number 10. And that was my first football shirt that I got from, uh, I think it was called Ilford Sports in Cranbrook Road. And I think he's still there. I, I used to know the family. Well, I used to know the family that ran it because his daughter went to school with me. Yeah. Uh, Highlands in Ilford. Yeah. So, um, so it was all. It was always West Ham. There was never any, you know, any deviation. We were a West Ham family. We lived in. The, we grew up in the East End. We moved to Ilford, Barkingside, um, the house in Manor Park. We, we moved there in 1970 or 71, right near the Reverend. Actually, hopefully, you've got a. It's not a reverend anymore, but hopefully you've got Elwin on or you've had Elwin Oh, yeah, on. we've had Elwin. Elwin Cockett, yeah. Great, yeah. great, great guy. So he lived around the corner from us in uh, Manor Park, just off uh, Monster Park Road. Oh, how funny. Um, yeah, great guy. In fact, he, he did the service uh, when my mum died uh, yeah. in 2008. And mum was not a football fan. So she was the only one in the fa family that wasn't a football fan. But after my old man died in 1984, she became the expert. So she would tell me, like, mum, don't tell me about football all right so she'd see something and then she'd say no no you're wrong like mom <laughs> don't do that anyway at her funeral uh, we were uh, atheist jews yeah so she had a non-denominational um service but we asked elwin to do the service um 
to do a non-denominational service. And we actually buried her. She was cremated, but we on the coffin, we put a West Ham, um, a West Ham scarf mm. and we did play bubbles at her funeral. Mm. That and the theme to Hill Street Blues. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had my, my so granddad. It's funny that he had, he had bubbles as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the worst experience I had with my mum, certainly one of the worst, there was that time she hit me in the eye with a plate. I've still got a scar. <laughs> I never knew what that was about. That was some displaced aggression over something not related to me, I think. But we had this, I went back once, I was living here and I went back and it was a Saturday afternoon. For some reason, I didn't go to the game. It was a way to Reading and um, couldn't follow it. You know, it was, I had a computer and I was trying to follow the score and it was Saturday afternoon. They had the football and they kept flashing up the score. We were losing 1-0 and then we were losing 2-0. She kept saying, oh, they've scored again. I'm like, don't tell me, what, what, don't tell me that. So, oh, they scored again. It's like half time, we're losing 4-0 to Reading. And mum kept telling me what was going to happen because somehow she was listening to the radio and she was like a minute ahead of me. Yeah. And I was so upset because we were getting hammered by Reading. I stormed out of the house. I was in such a temper. I think we lost 6-0. You remember that game? Yeah, I do. I was about to say, we finished 6-0. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she was, just, she was just taking the piss, you know, and um, <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Don't take the piss about West Ham when we're losing 6-0. It's just not, no. that's not funny. No. Yeah. See Reading, we had that. We had we had a real sort of battle with Reading, didn't we? If I remember that, was it Jimmy, Jimmy KB or something like that? There was a couple of their Reading players who always scored against us, and it was a bit of a needle match. If I remember for a while, us and Reading, <laughs> Reading needle match. That's you know funny. I mean? Like yeah. every, every club, every club, like oh, he always scores against us. Yeah, I mean every club, there's someone. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a a, a a Lukaku or a you know, yeah. there's someone who. 70% of the goals he ever scored in the Premier League or the First Division were scored against West Ham. Yeah. Or someone who hadn't scored for two years just needed yeah. to play West Ham, right? Yeah, exactly. I think, because obviously we nicked Pardew from there. And I think ever since, I think Reading, and there was always, I remember for a couple of seasons, oh, it was always, right. a bit, always a bit funny with us and them. Oh, it was, yeah, it was the Pardew thing. They got really pissed off about yeah. that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably he wasn't diddling anyone, anyone, any of the players' wives at the time, <laughs> so they still liked him. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> He's, he might be coming on the channel soon, so allegedly. Um, <laughs> you better ask him, you better ask him about that. Yeah, I'll ask him about that. I'm sure, I'm sure the, the, the interview will be somewhat um, cut short. Um, <laughs> so obviously, since then, you know, that you know, ask him at the end. Yeah, I'll ask him at the end, right at the end. <laughs> anyway, anyway, thanks, 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 Alan. Anyway, uh, one more question, like Colombo style. Just, just one more thing. <laughs> one more question. Ian Bishop and Trevor Morley. <laughs> yes. A knife, something. What was that all about? What was that all about? And, and Ian Bishop's a lovely guy. We've had him on the channel. I've got a lot of time. I believe he is. And he had the best nickname of all time given to him by Fortune's Always Hiding. The. 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 <laughs> the Ian Bishop. Bishop. And in fact, in Fortune's, it was Porky who did the, uh, who did the cartoon. Yeah. The, and it was based on that graphic of the, it's the Bishop from Monty Python. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the whole thing that Ian was the bishop. Oh, Remember the bishop? He was yeah, like a yeah, mob yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 mobbed up, mobbed up bishop. And uh, so that was Phil Jupiter. He was our cartoonist in uh, Fortune's Always Hiding. Yeah. Phil, you, Por Porky the Poet, the legend. Porky the Poet. You had, I mean, you know, you, Pete May, it was, it was a whole bunch of you, wasn't it? In that, when you, when you had the, the, um, the fanzine, it was, it was a, it was a big group of people, wasn't it? 
so the interesting i was just thinking about that before talking to you mm. um because and especially in this time of, of neo-nazis and, and neo-fascists in in the streets of london um it occurred to me that the core of the core group of that fanzine what an amazing assembly of talent it's like the uh, the west ham team that got relegated that yeah. joe cole and frank lampard Too and good to go down. yeah yeah um bobby moore and and vic watson and yeah that was a great team that was um <laughs> that yeah, pete may who you know is a great journalist and, and author and has written a whole load of books he was fred smeggins age 68. he's still age 68 lucky him i'm catching up <laughs> i'll be there in a few years there was there was porky the poet phil phil porky jupiter was the cartoonist and of course he's he's a, a an absolute um, legend and no longer a man of mystery. Um, his cartoons were like the core of the fanzine. Joe Norris, uh, Big Joe, who used to write for the fanzine, he was the the brawn and the brains behind the Red Wedge tour in '86, or certainly the comedy tour, because he got all those uh, those venues booked. And um, he worked with Addison Cresswell off the curb, uh, booking um, comedy acts like Phil Jupiter's mm. and Don Peretta, Don the Don also a good nickname, the Don Peretta, um, was also uh, a core member of Fortune's Always Hiding, also became a great journalist and actually brought Italian football to Channel 4. Yeah. He, was the, he was the man behind that. And Mike Pattenden, uh, who is a well-known journalist and author as well, uh, who I used to play football with. And once we were losing 2-1, I'm very tangential, aren't I? I, love it. I go off on a lot of tangents. We were losing 2-1 and it was the last minute of the game. And I, I was playing on the right wing. And Mike was good in the air. He was, it was very rare in those days to play with anyone who was good in the air. Um, and I, I, I did the sweetest Trevor Brookings slash Alan Devonshire cross with the inside of my right boot in the last minute. And it was one of those when you hit it and it sailed across the penalty area and it arced and curled. And Mike's around, he's been steaming upfield to try and, to try and get there. And I see him, I look up and I see him and I hit this curling cross and he's about the edge of the box. And he comes to the penalty area and he leaps. And he's, he was a pretty tall guy. He probably still is. And he leaps and this ball curls onto his head. Boom! And he heads it right into the top corner for the equaliser in the last minute. That was still one of my best football memories ever. <laughs> so, Mike Pattenden, so he worked on the fanzine. Yeah. And um, I think that was, that was pretty much the core group. And they were all like really talented, mm. brilliant journalists, comedians, writers, etc. And it occurs to me that all of them were involved in some way or other with Red Wedge in uh, 85, 86. Mm. And I bring that up because uh, I was one of the contributors to the Daniel Rachel book, Walls Come Tumbling Down. A lot of my photos are in that book because I was a Red Wedge photographer. And, um, and I'm doing a book. That's one of my plans is a book of Red Wedge photos because I was on the tour with the Star Council and Billy and um, Communards and uh, a lot of great bands. There's Johnny Marr was on the tour. And I took pictures on the comedy tour as well, which Porky was on and he was on stage with Joe and they, they were together at Cardiff on the Red Wish tour as well. So it's funny that we were all very involved in left wing politics as well, especially given West Ham's reputation, well earned, hard earned, uh, ICF, Mile End, um, you know, a lot of, let's say right wing guys. Um, yep. There were a bunch of left wing guys as well, um, at least back in the day. And we were all the... Uh, the Red Wedges were all hammers. It was really, it was really funny, and it's that same core group. Um, remembering now, 
because Red Wedge is, is, is being talked about a lot again. Mm. You know, Weller's got a new album out and uh, I'm connecting with a lot of the Paul Weller crowd. And uh, yeah, it's funny that a lot of those core Red Wedge people were all hammers, including, yeah. of course, the founder, Billy Bragg. Of course, of course. It's, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of those things where it just seems there's always a West Ham fan somewhere. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like every sort of little, whether it's a, a group of people, uh, you know, not, not so much stuff you do, but obviously you talk to people and there's always a West Ham connection somewhere. We, we're infiltrated everywhere. Aren't we? We've got, we've got our fingers in so many pies as, as a, as a community. And that's how this is. Uh, and a lot, how, a lot of people not, don't know that either. No. Michael Kane now. Not, <laughs> not a lot, a lot of people, people know that. <laughs> but, but there are a lot of Hammers fans over the years that, that people are like, wait, Kira Knight is a West Ham fan. Yeah, of course she is. She, she used to go to that, that pub in Hollywood every Saturday to watch the games. Yeah. I used to go there, so I can't remember the name of it now. But um, yeah, there are a lot of West Ham fans. I, I wonder about Tim Ross, because uh, he was actually an original Red Wedger, was Tim Ross. Really? And, and uh, I, I scanned a bunch of my pictures from the Artists Against Apartheid Festival at Clapham Common recently as well, which was right by where I used to live. And Tim Ross was on stage there as well, and he came on the Red Wedge tour. Well, in this country, in America, he was in a show called Lie to Me. Did that ever? Yeah, yeah, ever yeah, 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 yeah. And he played a Cockney. Uh, he had a company and he would, he could tell if people were lying or not. So people would hire him to figure out, you know, we've got this multi-million dollar deal. We need to know whether this person's telling the truth or not. Yeah. And they had, he had all these technologies, the amazing technologies for figuring out whether people were lying or not. So in the show, he goes back to London and he comes back and someone meets him at the airport, JFK in New York. He says, how was your trip? He says, great, West Ham 143. And I thought, that doesn't sound true. <laughs> I think you've got a West Ham scarf thinking, on yeah. And I wondered if that was actually uh, because he's a West Ham fan. Um, I don't ever remember it coming up before. But, okay, another tangent. EastEnders, on the other hand. So when EastEnders started there's a bunch of blokes at the bbc sitting around uh, you know noodling about this this idea they've got for a, a show set in the east end and they said well they've all got to be west ham fans right no they said they will be arsenal fans so these these knobs at the bbc said no 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 it should be arsenal fans like, fuck off it's it's the east end it's good. East end. okay yeah. we'll, we'll make up a fake team then so wolford whatever it's called wolford united but the thing was they were all companies and they were all west ham fans so uh, I remember when we when we drew with Hereford in the cup, and then we played the game in uh, uh, during the blackout. Was it seventy four under Edward Heath when there was the minor strike and there was the, there were blackouts, and we had to play the replay against Hereford at three o'clock, and I had to bunk off school to go and see the game. And they talked about that in the pub in the, in one of the episodes. And uh, I'm gonna go off on a whole tangent here. So Nick Berry, uh, he used to live on the same council estate as us in, oh, in Manor Park. He yeah. lived about 50 yeah. yards away and he went to the school with Michelle. Um, he went to Wonsley County High School. So we knew him and then Mike Reed lived on the next street, uh, Claverley Road, I think it was called. And he had a troubled son who would set fire to phone boxes or, or mailboxes, letterboxes. <laughs> and I used to go on the bus to school with his daughter in the morning. So. Mike Reed, who was the owner of the pub, he was the first landlord of the pub, yeah. or maybe it was Leslie Grantham. Yeah, so yeah. Leslie Grantham was a West Ham fan, yeah. and uh, he was once 
Oh boy, he was once doing a TV show and I was working on a video uh, as a photographer in an East End studio and I had a copy of the fanzine and I, and I said, oh, Leslie Grantham, he's getting lunch, I've got to go and give him this. And he had no idea what a football fanzine was. <laughs> he was a West Ham fan, he had no idea what a fanzine was. I think the same thing happened with Trevor Brooking. I think we gave him once, one once and didn't know what it was. But so Leslie Grantham was a hammer, Mike Reed was a hammer, uh, Nick Berry was a mad hammer, Todd Carty was a mad hammer. So... I became friends with Todd because I took pictures of him when I worked for Just 17, when I freelanced for Just 17. And then Todd and Nick used to go to all the games together. And he had a Range Rover. Nick had a Range Rover. And he always come down Green Street and we'd be outside Ken's Caf with the fanzine. And uh, Nick would always walk, roll down the window, call us over. All right, how are you doing? Get his copy of the fanzine. And uh, wrote us a really nice letter once. Anyway, so on the show, so Nick Berry had the Fortunes Always Hiding t-shirt. Um, Michelle Collins was a friend of mine because she was the backing singer with Mary Wilson and the Wilsations. And uh, Mandy Metro was the other backing singer. She was a mate of mine. So Michelle was his wife, right, in the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in EastEnders. And remember when they were, um, there was a siege? Like he had a, he had a gun and, and the, yeah, there was a siege. Vaguely, went on for yeah. Weeks. yeah, yeah. The whole way through the siege, he wore a, he wore a Fortune's Always Hiding T-shirt. Brilliant. <laughs> so I hope he's doing well. Lovely bloke. Todd Carty, Thank lovely you. bloke. Those hammers, there were so many connections with West Ham and East Enders, even though officially they were not part of it. No. Everyone in the pub would be wearing West Ham scarves. They'd always be talking about West Ham. There was always West Ham things on the wall. And that was because I think so many people who worked on that show were hammers, even though they were all supposed to support Wolford United. Well, like it's it's more it's it's the same. Yeah, it's continuing now. You've got uh, who's who's in charge? Danny Dyer is the uh, is the landlord, and he's who really, is Dan, yeah, Danny Dyer. Danny is, Dyer. Yeah, and so he's a massive West Ham fan. So there's a lot of West Ham memorabilia, I believe, in the in the Queen Vic. From what I remember seeing, good, good. Yeah. still there. There's still a few good. there. Billy Mitchell, who's Perry. Perry Mitchell, yeah. Perry something. Anyway, there's, there's, there's still oh, plenty there. Glenn Murphy. Yeah, London's Bernie. Glenn Murphy, Mad West Ham fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, my favourite story about, about Ambrose Mendy involves Glenn Murphy. So when Paul Ince, the reason we hated Paul Ince, right, was because he wore a Man United shirt when he was still playing for West Ham. The man behind that was Ambrose Mendy. He was his manager. We used to call him Ambrose Bendy Mendy. He was Nigel Benn's manager. So he was involved in the East End Mafia kind of, you know, yeah. subculture, boxing, football. Yeah. And uh, he, was, he got in Paul Ince's ear about, you know, you're better than this team, you're better than this club. You know, Man United are interested. Put this shirt on, we'll take a picture, we'll sell it to the mirror, then you'll get a big contract with Man United. And that all backfired, right? So this one year I'm playing in a five-a-side football tournament on the shitty pitch. Shitty pitch, shitty pitch, shitty pitch at QPR at Loftus no, Road, yeah. you know, on a plastic pitch. Yeah. And it's all music people, music business people. And somehow I got invited to play and I'm playing with Glenn Murphy and a bunch of West Ham fans. And we're playing a bunch of uh, Tom Watt and a bunch of Arsenal fans. There's one East Ender who was not a hammer. True. And Glenn Murphy was playing for us and Ambrose Bendy Mendy was playing for them. And Mendy went in hard on Glenn Murphy he went in late on Glenn Murphy and Glenn Murphy just turned around and clocked him. <laughs> he just punched him right in the face. And it was one of the best things I ever saw in my life. <laughs> oh Ray Winston couldn't have done it better. <laughs> no, I say, yeah. 
Dasarinsi. Yeah, Ray no, Winston it, just would. Ray Winston just would have called him a c-word first, and then would yeah, have punched him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been sort of the the prelude, just sort of the introduction. Rather than Glenn straight in, but he like you know makes makes a thing of it. How Ray does. <laughs> Glenn just went. Glenn just went straight in. He was not messing about. I think well, he had a bit of Paul Ince revenge in yeah, mind. Yeah. At the time, yeah. That's for Ince. Because <laughs> Ince was a great player, you he know. Was. He was a great yeah. hammer, and then. It was a real shame what happened. Um, mm. No, he could was have a been captain for years. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we had um, we had we had Tony Carr on the on the channel the other day, and obviously he was you know instrument in it. We was going through we was going through the lists of players that have come through the academy, and obviously he he had four England captains, including the first black you know obviously the first black captain as well, really Paul Ince wasn't he? Um, and so it was in, yeah, four captains, and he, we did his academy 11. And it's like, fucking hell, like literally the play, it was unbelievable. The only doubt, goalkeeper was a bit of an issue. He put Stephen Bywater in, but everyone else was like, fucking hell, you know, it's absolutely mental. He had like a third, a third of the England 2010 World Cup squad came through our. Academy. Right, amazing. Amazing. amazing man. Um, did you know that Paul Ince was actually responsible for, solely responsible for us getting relegated? Really? Yeah, because John Lyre was about to get sacked, right? He had to get sacked because I know he was a great hammer and everything, but we had really lost our way. I mean, we knew we were going to get relegated unless we took action. It's like February or March. I can't remember what year, like 89, 88, mm. somewhere around there. And we played Liverpool in the cup, in the, in the League Cup, on a Wednesday night, I think. And we beat them 4-1. And uh, in scored twice. And my car got broken into. And uh, that's not really relevant to the story, actually. Um, but that, that 4-1 win against Liverpool saved John Lyle's job. But that was a really bad thing because we got relegated. It was clear to us he needed to get fired. They needed a new manager, otherwise we were going to go down. But because we won 4-1 against Liverpool, like, no, let's, keep, let's, let's have him keep his job. And, uh, yeah. History repeats itself. Somewhere. It's his fault. He scored with that volley. Yeah. Uh, one of the goals was a volley. And uh, we were really happy at the time. I thought, oh, mm. now they're not going to fire John Lyle, are they? Uh, just bought Liverpool 4-1 and Liverpool riding high as well, weren't it? So, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Poor old NC. Right. Anyway, let's get on to your 11, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an 11. Oh, um, we're just going to just chat for another. another go ahead. Ask me, a que- ask me a question then. Yeah, um, um, right. Um, I'll, I'll, I want to ask goal. you. In, okay, yeah, well, yeah, okay. So, in, in goal, who would be in goal between the sticks for the uh, Rapport 11? Who, who's going to be? Uh... So, this is, this is actually my favorite West Ham story. Yeah. Um, about why we love West Ham and why we're kind of the lovable losers. Like Michelle was talking about Fortune's Always Hiding, or maybe you were about, you know, why do we have that as a song instead yeah. of, you know, You Never Walk Alone? Um, so, in 67 or 68, um, we bought Bobby Ferguson from, Scott, from uh, Kilmarnock for like £65,000, which was a world record for a goalkeeper. And I think he was five foot seven. He might have been five, five foot eight. I'm five foot seven. It's very, very, very small to be a goalkeeper. You're a bit of a gnome in goal at yeah. five foot seven. You know, I'd like to see a picture of him standing next to Phil Parks. Yeah. Um, and we always thought that was a little bit odd. And it turned out years later, we were actually offered Gordon Banks. Uh, and I was actually behind the goal in the North Bank when he made that save from the Jeff Hurst penalty. There's a fantastic picture that you can find. You can Google it. Yeah. Uh, there's a fantastic black and white of 
Jeff strode up, smashed that ball. This is in the semi-final of the League Cup. Top corner, go! And then Banks comes from nowhere and saves it. It was the most amazing save I ever saw in my life. Him. We could have had him. England's World Cup goalie. Um, we were offered him. But apparently we'd already made a deal. Uh, Ron Greenwood had already made a deal with Kilmarnock to buy Bobby Ferguson. He said, I, I, can't, I can't go back on a deal. We shook hands. If I go back on the deal, no one will ever trust us or trust me again. And that's why we have Bobby Ferguson and not Gordon Banks in goal. But I, I really admire um, him for having some integrity. And that yeah. reminds me of something that, rep, that uh, uh, Elwin, Reverend Elwin might have told you. Did he ever tell you that Ronnie Boyce story about Ron Greenwood and Don Revy? No, 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 no. Uh, about how Ron Greenwood never used to swear, ever. Except once. Once. And it's like something in a movie. Don Revy, like the most dishonest, the most the absolute polar opposite of Ron Greenwood. Mm. So Leeds come to West Ham and it's probably 66, 67, and they really need to win to win the league. And Ron Green, he goes, Don Revy goes to see Ron Greenwood in his office, which you, you would never do. A manager mm. going to see another manager in his office before the game. And the doors open. And what Don Revy doesn't know is that Ronnie Boyce, He's in the office. He's behind the door. It's like one of those scenes where the door opens and he's got an envelope and he gives this envelope to Ron Greenwood. And he says, look, we need these points a lot more than you do. And Ron Greenwood says, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off out of my office. Don't you ever come back in here again. And uh, I think Ronnie Boyce may, I'm not sure we're supposed to tell anyone that, but I think Ronnie Boyce might have told that story to, to Elwin. And, uh, and he only knew because he was... <laughs> It was in the office at the time. Of the other door. The England manager, the future England manager, trying to bung, bung Ron mm. Greenwood a few quid to throw a game. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, the damned United. Indeed, indeed, and 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 um, and, and a random tangent. Uh, I used to at university. My housemate was Don Greenwood's grandson. What was his name? His name was Aiden Greenwood. His name was Greenwood. No, 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 not Greenwood. Sorry, Don Revy. Don Revy's grandson. Um, <laughs> not Roy Greenwood. Don Revy's grandson. Fucking hell. Get it right. Was right. he a twat? Anyway, um, yeah, he was. A, he was anyway, right. in goal. In goal. Anyway, in goal. Yeah, Phil in Parks goal. probably, but it yeah. could be Ludo. It could be Mervyn Day before he got married. Because yeah. the day after he got married, he was shit. I don't know what happened there. Someone's <laughs> someone's got to find out that story. So. He was brilliant until he was 20, 21, and then he got married, and then he got lobbed against Everton, and then it was downhill from and there. But Parksy, Parksy was such a great goalie. Yeah. Um, but so, so, so was Ludo. And there was something just great about having Ludo in the team. But I think I'll go with Parksy. Yeah, go with Parksy. All right, Marie, that, that one's for you. Yeah, Marie will be happy. Yep, she will have her on soon. Right, we'll put Parksy in. Let's, 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 go, um, let's go left back and see how we get on. <laughs> left back oh it's got to be Dixie although it, you know it could be Frank yeah because uh, Frank Lampard was such a great left back um, yeah marauding down the left wing um, but Dixie was a whole other level he was such a menace he was like a man out of time as well imagine him playing now oh yeah it, so I went to Villa once and we were in the, all, the, all the West Ham were down the side the terrace down the side and Tony Daly who was in the England team at the time was playing for Villa so he's playing right wing Julian's left back and right in front of us 
there's a 60-40 ball, maybe a 70-30 ball. No defender in the country goes in for that tackle, except Julian. Julian. And Julian goes in so hard and fair, takes the ball, takes Daly. Daly goes flying. Julian comes away with the ball. We're, we're absolutely beside ourselves. Yeah. And Daly didn't touch the ball for the rest of the game. He didn't want it. Any time they looked at pass to him, he's like, no, give it to someone else, mate. I'm not oh He's mad. <laughs> Mental. <laughs> Julian. Just, and, and his rocket's sharp as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got to go with Julian, I think, for a left yeah. back. Yeah, although I think, yeah, I, I agree because I just think he had so much, he just had so much career, you know, you know, as a player, you know, as a left back, you know, left back's not the most glamorous position, is it? But he just could conduct the crowd and the team, isn't it? Sometimes, it, you know, it's like, he would, sometimes it would be almost like, right, fuck it, I'll do it myself, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll just, <laughs> and he just did. I'll do everything. I'll play midfield, I'll be up front, you need a yeah. goal, I'm going I'm to shoot from 30 yards. Um, and it's so true and listen to the listen to the ex-players when they talk about Julian um, you know they just had so much respect for him because no, he didn't he didn't warm up um, you know I was interviewing like Tim Probably Drake used to smoke and, in the dressing room exactly he used to have, a, he used to have a, I think he, someone said he used to have a can of coke in a Mars bar and then he'd be going out and um, but you can imagine that you can totally get that um yeah people like uh tim breaker and and who else are peter butler and people like that machines you know sort of they're you know they'd go out and warm up so, fitness machines right? yeah fitness yeah. machines yeah like they'd they'd be warming up stretching julian would just go out and just kick balls that you do so did you ever read an interview with joe strummer about no. running a marathon no no so so joe strummer ran the london marathon in 1983 mm. and i know because i was Rolling Stone commissioned me to go and take pictures of him and, um, and that's a funny story because I lived in Clapham drove over to Blackheath and they didn't give me a number of anyone there's no cell phones they didn't give me the number of his manager or you know arrange where to meet him so I park and there's 30,000 people there because it's the London Marathon and it's raining and I park and I get out of my car and there's Joe Strummer there warming up so I've got these great pictures of Joe Strummer um, but he was interviewed years later about running the marathon and he said what was your training reg- regimen and he kind of laughed and he said, it's something like, I stayed up all night drinking beer at about 15 pints of beer, but I don't really want you to tell people because I don't want them thinking that that's a clever thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that, was, that was Joe Strummer's um, training regimen. He ran two marathons, London and, and uh, Paris. Um, but West Ham Connection, his manager was Cosmo. Cosmo mm. Vinyl. Yeah, Another again. Hammer. Again. It's the Hammer Connection and again. Cosmo's a famous artist in New York now. Uh, he does what, what Porky the Poet, what Phil Jupiter does a lot of, which is uh, um, collage art. Mm. Anyway, yeah, Cosmo Vinyl, Hammer. Joe Strummer's manager. And, uh, okay, and, moving uh, on. Moving on, right back. That's a tough one. Maybe go with Ray Stewart, although yeah. I think I might stick Billy Bonds in there rather than in midfield because Bonds has got to be in the team and he was bought as a right back. Yeah. Although, you know, prefer me remembering mostly as a marauding midfielder. But I do wonder what he had against, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. There was a black player played for Stoke. Um, it was Garth Crooks. Billy had something against Garth Crooks. And I don't know what it was, but he would just, he would just kick Garth Crooks up in the air. Really? When he, when he was right back and Garth Crooks was playing up front, I think he was playing for Stoke at the time. And it looked like it was more, there was some needle there. There was more than just, mm. you know, more than just he's playing for them and it's Billy Bonds. But, but Billy, 
you know, bandaged head, blood pouring over him, yeah. socks rolled down. Yeah, Julian Dix on one side and Billy Bonds on the other. The hardest, even as hard as Dix was, I still say Bonds was probably the hardest player I ever saw. Yeah. Hard, hardest, fairest player I ever saw. Um, no, plus, no, what an inspiration. What a just never give up, never say mm-hmm. die. What a leader. What a what an amazing player that man was. And there was one season he scored, what, 18 or 19 goals and got a hat-trick, I think. Took penalties and he just did everything. Yeah. One season, every other year he got like three or four goals and one year he, he just got a bucket load. Yeah, it happens, isn't it? They so go I'm going right. to put Billy Bonds right back. Yeah, good shout. Okay. Uh, I love the goal. And, and he had a great shot on him and great penalty taker, obviously. But Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, I, I think defensive-wise, I think, I think we've done all right, Reese. You know, we, we same with goalkeepers. We've had quite a few decent goalkeepers in our time as well. You know, it's like we've always hasn't been. But you know, as I said, yeah, I mean, left back. You said you got a choice between Frank Lampard Senior and Julian Dix. That's not a bad, you know, oh, you know, in terms of safest choice. Right. Okay. Let's go. Uh, let's go centre backs then, Steve. Who's your first centre back? There was a bloke who used to play for West Ham a long, long time ago. What the number six shirt? Uh, Matthew Upson. Famously <laughs> retired. It was, uh, Hilton, Paul Hilton, the Paul guy Hills. that we bought. The guy that we bought from the team that we just beat ten nil. Because that's yeah. what you do, right? You beat yeah. a team ten nil and you buy their centre half. <laughs> no, uh, Sir Bobby Moore, um, yeah. number six. Uh, what a legend! So, mm. Valentine's Park. So we lived near Valentine's Park. Yep, for, uh, for a while when when, uh, when we were in Ilford. Uh, and I used to go and play football every Saturday morning. Well, I used to go there all the time, actually, play football. And I had a molten bike. I don't remember those, like a fold-up bike. And I used to tie my boots to the back of my bike. So we just finished playing football, and I was trying to tie my boots, and this little girl kept messing with my boots. And her dad walked over, and he said, oh, let me help you with that. And he helped me tie mine. I'm just standing like this. And then he walked off and I said, my mouth open. I rode my bike towards Beehive Lane because my mum and dad were there. I think they were using the laundrette up there. And my dad said, you'll never guess who we saw coming out of the park. And I said, <laughs> Bobby Moore. He said, how did you know? He just helped me tie the boots on my bike. But I was too gobsmacked to say anything. I didn't say like, Bobby Moore, I'm such a huge West. I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then we saw him once at uh, Brighton. Uh, I think it's when we were doing a fanzine. We drove down to Brighton and he parked in a in front of a he parked in a, a spot where he shouldn't be parking like a no parking spot and we stopped to tell him and he just blanked us he just completely ignored us so that's kind of rude bobby he was there, there doing commentary you know and his yeah. car got towed his jag got towed was like you should have fucking listened to us yeah should have anyway that's my other bobby moore story <laughs> no bobby moore legend um yeah obviously one of the iconic photos of all time as well him and pele exchanging mm-hmm. shirts tops off yeah um yeah. What, what can you say? Brilliant footballer, a brilliant reader of the game, uh, immaculate tackling without really tackling because he just—he was always there first. He just knew where the ball was going to be. Mm. And one thing that people don't realise these days is that the best passer of all maybe the country's ever seen, um, especially to Jeff Hurst, would just like the goal, the fourth goal in a, in a World Cup final, yeah. just pinpoint onto Jeff's chest, which you don't really see either. Just He was a great chester of the ball. Mm. And, and Bobby could find him anywhere, anytime. And that goal Michelle mentioned against Sunderland, 
Um, I think that was the goal where he, he hit it from about 30 yards and he just, he hit it and he just turned around like that, just put his arm up and, you know, and walked away. He didn't watch it. Just knew. He just hit it and he didn't like jump up and down. He just turned around, put his hand up and, you know, and walked back to the centre circle. And then the ball's going like an arrow into the top corner. Amazing, <laughs> he amazing. He didn't watch it, he just turned and walked off. Yeah. Bobby Moore. I was interviewing a guy the other day and he said, Bobby Moore was one of those players who, you know, a lot of people would, would do a trick or, or do a turn and the crowd would like cheer. But for Bobby, he would do something and the crowd would just like, there'd be a delay because they're like, what the fuck's that? And then it's like, yeah, you know, like, and it's like, it was just incredible. And I could, I, I know what he means. It's like, I, I in terms of what I'm, no way am I comparing the two, but obviously when, when Payet scored that free kick against Palace, there was a, a second delay where no one cheered because it was almost like, what the fuck's that? And then Have you ever seen a free kick take a left turn before? No. no. Like, literally, take a left turn <laughs> exactly. at, the end of its, at the end of its journey. It's like, oh, wait, I need to turn left here. <laughs> I, the laws of physics say that that's not possible. He not did possible. was not possible. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Bobby Moore, Bobby Moore, yeah, just an absolute genius. And I believe he was a really lovely guy as well. He used to have that um, sports shop right outside the ground, right on Green Street. Mm. Yeah. For, for a number yeah. of years. Even after he moved on, I think. Um, and I was, at the, I was at Wembley for the cup final as well against Fulham. That was quite a, quite a nostalgic moment. It just didn't seem right, but he's, no. leading, out, he's leading Fulham out against us. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and not, treated, not treated the way he should have been treated in Britain, I don't think. No, not no. appreciated enough. Or, no. Yeah. It was in, in the game. In the game after he retired, I don't understand why he wasn't, didn't become a great manager or anything. Well, anyway, yeah, I mean, no, watching, absolutely. What, watching his documentary and stuff yeah it seems there was there was something there there was a reason no one really knows i mean well I, it was partly mexico i think partly yeah. it was what happened in mexico which was as far as i ever knew was a setup from the beginning mm. um and i don't know yeah maybe I don't know. I mean, I, I, I spoke to i can't remember who i spoke to but uh another into one of the interviews and he texts because Matt Lorenzo did the did the Bobby Moore, did Bobby Moore. No, yeah, no, he texts Jonathan Pierce. He texts no, yeah, text Jonathan Pierce because Jonathan Pierce did did because he was watching it with his son, and his son asked him the question about why he never Bobby didn't get into the England setup. So he texts Jonathan Pierce and said, "Why would he?" And Jonathan Pierce said, "Don't know." So it's like, <laughs> he doesn't know. Okay, fair enough. That's it. Yeah, fair enough. So Matt then. Lorenzo, how's Matt Lorenzo these days? He's all right. He wasn't very well recently. I think he had he got the old COVID. Um, we will have him on the channel soon. Oh no, um, that's uh, he, he he used to work for the Sun, right? Yeah, long time ago. Yeah, long time. Hundred years ago, his dad was Peter Lorenzo. Yeah, Chigwell boy. Yeah, Chigwell boy. Yeah, famous, famous famous journalist. Yeah, his sister so. or daughter. His sister was Maria Lorenzo. I used to I used to go out with her. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. I think, it's the weirdest so yeah, we'll world. Maria Lorenzo. God, so yeah, Matt we'll, Lorenzo. Get we'll, get Matt, we'll get Matt on soon. So, yeah. No, yeah, yeah ask, him about, ask him about Maria Lorenzo. I will do. I will do. I will do. Don't worry about that. Wish her all the best. Send her all the best from me. Yeah, exactly. Um, moving on. Moving on. Uh, Who's the other send? Alvin Martin. Yes. Alvin Martin. It's got to be Alvin <laughs> Martin. Talk about, you know, bandages and blood all over his head and going in goal and scoring a hat-trick and... I know, Alvin Martin. Brilliant player. Yeah, uh, and not, not a hammer, uh, you know, from being from Liverpool, being an Everton fan. Yeah. Um, but, but like Julian, really, because if you talk to Julian, how do you not think that he's a Cockney? 
No, yeah, how yeah, would you yeah. imagine this? This is a Bristol boy. Yeah, um, exactly. And same with same with Alvin. You know, he he was he was there from like sixteen or seventeen years old, right? Yeah. And still had his Scouse accent, but he was a fierce a fierce hammer. Yeah, he and he the he's the fierce he was, leader of men. Yeah. He was, and he was very much. I, there's a few adopted Cockneys, um, and he's one of them. You know, he still lives around the area. You know, he still has. He still talks about obviously when and obviously when 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 Bill got his um got the stand named after him, Alvin was doing the the comparing. He was the one who presented you know the the whole bit. So yeah, he's a lovely guy, Alvin, and uh, yeah, lots of and again, it's interesting when you talk to the players and and the way they talk about like I've interviewed like Tony Gow and the way he talks about stretch and you know there's there's it's such a it was such a special time that sort of particularly 85, 86 season. And they all still, they all speak so highly of each other. It's lovely. And just the real togetherness. Yeah. Well, Tony Gale was another great hammer as well. Has yeah. to be said. Good fun. I mean, I, he, he seems to bend over backwards not to compliment us in his, in his, in his commentaries. <laughs> but, um, of course, you know, yeah. Cause he's over uh, there. He does the commentary for you over in the States, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, that's, it's not on in the UK. No, we don't have Tony Gale. No, no, he's no. on every week. Yeah. So, so Tony Gale was responsible he was as responsible for the bond scheme as Ince was for us getting relegated in the sense that because he got sent off by Keith Hackett in the cup semi-final, because um, we sang Johnny Lars Clarence Buani for like an hour, even though we were losing 4-0, yeah. um, the, the board, uh, because, because Tony Gale got sent off for not doing anything, um, which was the single, probably the single worst refereeing decision I, I ever saw, ever, mm. anywhere, ever. Just especially robbing us of Wembley. And, and, and then that was really why I left England. <laughs> so Tony Gales, it was Tony Gales getting sent off because the Bond scheme, really, they figured we would do anything for our team. So mm. if they wanted to sell us seat licenses for 1,500 quid, even though we already had season tickets, so that we could pay for the right to buy a season ticket that we already had, they thought because of what we did at Villa Park, um, that we, we would do anything. Mm. And they, they could just steamroller us. And we were like, no, no. And that was, that was the fanzine. Fortunes Always Hiding led that campaign against the bond scheme. Dixie, to his enormous credit, which was not a thing to do at the time for a footballer. He came out in support of us and said he thought it was wrong that they were trying to get all this money, get the, get the fans to pay for the stand. Yeah. He got even more respect for doing that. But, Definitely. you know, that was very acrimonious. Um, I was hauled up into the MD's office. They threatened to ban me for life because they saw me burning a scarf on the pitch because it, was a bond, it wasn't a West Ham scarf. It was a fucking West Ham bond scheme scarf. Me and Steve Law, we were sitting in the chicken run and we just lost, I think, to Wimbledon, 3-1. And we're just sitting there and everyone goes and me and Steve Law are just sitting there. Like, a, what was that cartoon? Darcy and Muppet? <laughs> and Steve Law looks at me and says, oh, fuck it, I'm going on the pitch. And he just walks off. And literally, there's no one else there. We're just, we're just sitting there, everyone's gone. And he just climbs over the wall and just goes and sits and like, yeah, why not? And we're just going to sit in the centre circle. And that was the that was how we started the protest. And other people, suddenly it's like three or four hundred people there. And then someone had a bond scheme scarf because they'd been to a bond meeting. So let's set fire to that shit. So then a few weeks later, they hauled us into the office and they said they had video 
of us burning a West Ham scarf in the centre circle. And uh, yeah, it got pretty, it got pretty ugly. They, they were threatening us because they wanted us to, you know, stop the protest. We did the, the red card. That was Fortune's Always Hiding. We sold five to 6,000 copies of that magazine wow. every time we, we published. So all over the ground, you know, so we had an issue and we had a red, a big red uh, piece of card. And we mm -hmm. said at 315 or whatever, everyone hold up your red card to the bond scheme. We did the stand up, sit down protest. Uh, if you're seated, stand up. If you're standing, sit down. And everyone did. And it, I mean, again, they had to abandon the scheme, right? They couldn't. Yeah. There was too much opposition to it. Yeah, um, it was. But that's also why we stopped doing the fanzine in the end. It's just, you know, the joke's not funny anymore. It was yeah. really yeah. acrimonious and bitter time. Anyway, Tony Gale, yeah, got sent off. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I'll probably still be living in. I'll probably still be living in Clapham. You'd still be in the same. Anyway, moving on. Moving anyway, on. Left, he wasn't in the team either. He wasn't so, even in the team, early. That's a tangent. Left, left midfield. Who have we got left midfield then? I think I'm going to have to go with just a whole bunch of people now because yeah, yeah. you know there's people that need to be in the team. Yeah. So so you're going to have to have Alan Devonshire in yeah. the team, but you're going to have to have Trevor Brooking in the team. Yeah. But you're going to have to have Frank McAvenny in the team. But you're going yeah. to have to have Paolo Di Canio in the team, and you've got to have um, Tony Cotty in the team. Yeah. And you know I probably should really have Jeff Hurst in the team. So what are we going to do? Like six, seven strikers? Are we whatever. Gonna have, whatever. We, we what, what's get, this we'll lineup going to look like? It's, it, it's, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be first match of the day. Have, so Alan Devonshire. Yeah. Um, what a player. We paid, what, £5,000 for yep. him from Southall? Was it five or 15? Five. I think it was five, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Bargain, best bargain ever. Ever. Um, not the brightest sparks. I think he became a manager. But the fastest... Just what a joy to watch that man was mm. until he broke, until he tore his knee ligaments, never quite the same player afterwards, which is, which often happens really sad because he was still pretty young then as well. Yeah. Had a great career in front of him, but what a magical, magical player Alan Devonshire mm. was. And, and then there were years when we had, imagine this, we had Alan Devonshire and Trevor Brooking playing together in the same team. Amazing. That's, mm. that's mind boggling, mind numbing. Cause Trevor Brooking was the most consummate, brilliant footballer of my life yeah so as far as i ever had a west ham hero it was trevor brooking and the number 10 i said jeff first was my first one but after that it was trevor brooking i had a t-shirt made a pale blue one and it said trevor brooking is magic on it when you could get t-shirt made at a, i can't remember where in Ilford probably they stitched the letters on um could cross the ball with either foot always unruffled just just the best player I ever saw. And I mm. think he was up there on a world level with the Maradonas and the, mm. I can't imagine a better player than Trevor Brooking, a better all-round player. Mm. Just such a joy watching his whole career at West Ham. Exactly, and, and staying at West Ham. kid coming into breaking the team, 64, 65, staying at West Ham. Mm. We were offered, I think, £420,000 for him once, and he nearly left, but he didn't want to go. We were trying to sell him to raise funds to buy some other players. And... Um, so he's my number one, my number two, my number 10. Number 10 was always my position. It was always my like, number 10. Maradona yeah. was number yeah. 10. You know, the best players in the world always were number 10. Zidane. But Trevor Brooking was my number 10. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so and I could also, use either. But also, just, you know, also the likes of Dev and, and Brooking and, and Moro. You know, they were playing on, you know, that's what I don't, don't think people realise is if the unexperienced, the inexperienced fans 
the younger ones is is how crap the pitches were and and they were yeah, still point. and they were still like being mesmeric you know like like could you imagine them nowadays you know like on the bowling green at london stadium it would have been amazing what could they have done for a ball how much Trevor, they I don't know why Trev isn't regarded as just one of the greatest British players of all time. Maybe mm. his England career wasn't as stellar as it should have been. He wasn't used mm. enough or used in the right position. He did score some great goals for England. Um, but he should have been one of our absolute legends because there's not a footballer, a British footballer, better than Trevor Brooking. You have to look at George Best or Dennis Law or, you know, some real magicians. There was a Eddie Gray who played for Leeds, was mm. a magician. Absolute magician. Once beat five, six or seven players to score a goal for Leeds. It was just... But Trev, week in, week out, beat players We just... He wasn't quick. He just no. had magic feet, both feet. Could cross the ball. Didn't have to beat a player to cross the ball. Mm-hmm. On either foot, on either side, curl it around a player, pinpoint crosses. When he scored a goal, it was magic, always. And he scored with a header in the cup final. I didn't even know it was a header until I was uh, all the way back to East Ham. Because <laughs> it was at the other end. Yeah, we were all at the other end yeah. um, in the AC Cup final, and assumed he just bundled it in. And then someone said that he scored with a headway. Trevor Brooking. <laughs> what? Yeah. So we went to the we went to High Street North for the celebrations right after the game. And then I just posted a couple of weeks ago. It was uh, the anniversary, right? May the tenth yeah. was the anniversary, fortieth yeah, yeah. anniversary. May the eleventh was the anniversary of bringing the cup back. And uh, yeah. I had some photos that I dug up. I took pictures, I went to East Ham Town Hall and it was my mum's birthday, May the 11th. Never forgot that. Um, saw them all with a the cup, posted them on Instagram and on, the, on my Facebook. Some a picture that I took ages trying to restore because it was all really badly damaged sure. over the years. Sure. Probably the greatest day ever, I think. Bringing the cup back to East London. Yeah. At the Town Hall, they're all on the balcony. That was so brilliant. Oh, yeah, funny. Yeah, we had we had David Cross. Yeah. We had David Cross on the other day, um, and Ica. he was yeah brilliant. Such a lovely guy, and speaks so highly of of, of his time at West Ham and, and the fans as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, there's not there's not a huge number of people West Ham you know, players who have lifted the FA Cup, and and it, and it's it's important that that we we can, and that's the whole sort of the, the idea of this channel as well to it's almost like a time capsule type thing you know trying to keep these memories of these players going um as as as, as more experienced fans go away so to speak so um yeah no it's a, it's a great a great player Brooklyn was and so with dev as well yeah can amazing. i can i just go on a tangent there since you go since you it. brought that up i don't know how many people remember the 65 cup winners cup final or have actually watched it because it's mm. such a long time ago. There is a video of it. I, I watched that a few times. My dad wouldn't take me. That's the one game my dad wouldn't take me to. Really? I, I don't know why. I, I was too young, for the, he said, for the 64 Cup final. So I watched it on telly. I remember Ronnie Boyce scoring the winner right at the end. Um, so I was seven. And then the, the next year, I really desperately wanted to go to the Cup final, European Cup final, because it was at Wembley. Um, and he wouldn't take me. He had a ticket and he wouldn't take me. I don't know why. <laughs> that game is the best football I've ever seen. Really? So I don't know if people know that. Yeah, we won. We won 2-0. We, it could have been 12-0. Yeah. It could have been 14-0. Uh, some goalkeeping heroics and, and just bad luck and bad refereeing decisions. The football was the most sublime football you've ever seen an English team play. Wow. So for, if, if people haven't seen it or haven't seen it recently, go and watch the 65 Cup Winners Cup final. 
it, it's really, really special. Yeah. That was a great team. And that was a great pitch to play it on. And our passing was absolutely out of this world. Oh, definitely. I'll definitely check that one out. I've watched Tiger King now, so... <laughs> you really could have done you could have watched this eight times instead of watching Tiger King could have done, could have done. we'll be a lot so happier we're into mid, yeah we're into midfield and uh, oh yes yeah, so Dev we'll put Brooke it, it, in hard. yeah central midfielders um, I'll, I'll tell you some players I really didn't like and I was out on a limb yeah. with um, Jimmy Neighbour hated Jimmy Neighbour <laughs> number one he, he was a Spurs player as far as I was concerned uh who who did they get? We didn't we do a really bad deal for Jimmy Neighbour. Well, we we tend to we tend to not end up good the wrong end of the <laughs> stick. Yeah, I'm in the stick most times. Yeah, like we did like we did with Jimmy Greaves, um, Francois Van der Elst. I know a lot of people thought he was brilliant. I thought yeah. he was absolute rubbish for West Ham. We bought him. You know, he played for Anderlecht in the in the '76 Cup Winners' Cup final against yeah. us, and he was the architect of their victory. I was at that game as well at, um, at the Heisel. Um, went to the semi final and the final. And uh, but for a crossbar, we could we could have won that game. Yeah. Um, but I thought Francois Van was really, really, really lazy, and I could. That's one thing I could never forgive in a footballer. That's why we got on Frank Lampard's back. It wasn't because it, it was the nepotism that he wouldn't ever get dropped, no matter how lazy mm. he was. Mm. And then he went mm. on and became one of the greatest British midfielders of all time. It's sickening, really. Um, but I suppose it's down to management as well. It's down to our management, He's... not. Not, yeah. not keeping on him, making him a great player mm, mm. because they made him a great player at Chelsea and he could have yeah. been ours the whole the whole time. He, he actually sat on my dad's lap. Somehow my dad knew Frank Lampard. He was from Canningtown, Plasto. And my dad was, was round at Frank Lampard's house once and he had a baby and it was, it was Junior. My dad loved to tell that. Um, yeah, it was a shame because he was one of ours and we, we kicked him out and then he hated us for it, but it was his own fat fault at the time. Um, sorry, I shouldn't fat shame anyone. Um, but he was lazy. Uh, he felt like he, he was just in that team by right and he didn't have to work for it. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's hindsight's always a great thing, isn't it? And, and, and you know, it, it happened all too often in that period, wasn't it? Where, you know, what could have been that whole quartetish type of numbers of players, the Rios and Glenn's. Is eight a quarter? Is eight, eight a quartet? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, but you know what? You know what I mean? Quintet? Because I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking Lampard, Carrick, Cole, Ferdinand, Johnson. Those five, Johnson? Yeah. five players, you know, as a nucleus, obviously, then you know, became England's nucleus for a long time. You know, was, you know, you're throwing John Terry, who he was, uh, yeah, it was uh, with us for a while uh, as a kid, and uh, you know we. Had, he's a bit um, horrible, though, isn't he? He's a bit horrible. He's a bit horrible. He was yeah. a bit horrible, JT. But but he's he'd be one of those. He's one of those players who's you know he's a bastard, but he'll be our bastard. Do you know what I mean? We get. You he would have like, been out the, 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 the Craig Bellamy's like of this yeah. world, and, and and you know Robbie Savage's. He used to hate him, but if they played for you, you are Gordon, son. You know. But, uh, Bellamy was a great hammer, actually. I loved Craig Bellamy. Yeah. Fastest thing on two legs, and except for that damn hamstring of his. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it, with those types of players? When you know, yeah, yeah. like Halloween and people like that, you know, they're never the same. And, and yeah, Dev, you know, that was the same. Oh. Obviously, yeah. Dev got so injured, and he was the flying winger, and he came back and had to reinvent himself for the, you know, as more of a, a trickster rather than a serious speedster. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's quite um, funny listening to when I talked to um, a few of the boys from '86. Um, 
for upcoming videos that are coming on. Um, you know, two strikers, for example, you played in the 85-86 season. You might have heard of them. Um, they, they both tell the same story about Dev, word for word. It's really funny. And they haven't spoken to each other about it, but word for word, what Dev said to them in terms of advice um, was exactly the same. He must have said it for every one of the players about what to do. He knew exactly how many people were going to mark him. And he's like, you know, just pass me the ball. I'll have three men on me and I'll just flick it round and you're through on goal. And they both went, what a cheeky bastard. You know, <laughs> knowing he's going to have three players on him. <laughs> and then it happened, right? So true. It was true. It happened all the time. But, that um, team, that was the dream team, wasn't it? It was just yeah. the weather that killed us. I think, but for the weather, we probably would have won the league. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And they, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, that there's, brutal schedule, and there's 17 records, club records, which that team still holds. Um, wow. which 17, teams, 18 games in a row without losing. Yeah, something win, like that. Home wins, away wins. With Spurs, yeah. right? And then yeah. Neil Orr. Yeah. Neil Orr. That was the game, right? Was it Chelsea at home? Neil Orr came on as a sub and gave away a goal from a corner. And that was really what cost us the title. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me and Don Press used to argue about Neil Orr because he was a big Neil Orr fan. So he, he, it was his fault we didn't win the league. <laughs> I always like to be able to blame someone. You, know? <laughs> you notice that. Yeah, you've got to blame someone, isn't it? It's, it's someone talks somewhere down the line. It might be Tony Gale 20, 25 years later on, you know, as you said, for the Bond yeah. But there's always someone to blame. Anyway, back to the 11. <laughs> I've got about 20, haven't I? So uh, got, we've just got to fit in. The rest of the team in. is an amorphous, it's an amorphous mess. Yeah, um, we've with, yeah. So with, I think um, you still got. So we basically still have to. I mean, we'll fit them in. Um, we've still got. Uh, there's Decanio, Hurst. Uh, Maka and Cotty, I think is the, is they've, the, all got, they've all got to play. Maybe, maybe play. well, maybe just Frank McAvoy was super sub at one point, right? So maybe Frank can come on as a sub. He was the front cover of one of our fortunes, always hiding as a submarine. Don't <laughs> I mean, call me all, super sub. They'd all, fit, they'd all fit in the eleven. I mean, that's that. That would be eleven players then. It'd just be they'd all be playing in midfield and. They'd, they'd, I mean, yeah, Cotty, Cotty I mean, was brilliant. I mean, Maka was a Maka was signed as a te- as a you know wasn't signed as a striker. It was only. Right? It was only Goddard that got injured, wasn't he? And he was playing yeah, in the hole, weren't he? So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean so Paolo. That was, so, that was one of our most brilliant signings, Frank McIverney. Mm. Again, you know, not a Cockney, a no. Celtic fan, which is the only reason he left. Yeah, no one else could have got him so true. to leave. Yeah. Just it was, he was really torn as well because he loved West Ham. He really, he really was, um, yeah. He was a great, great hammer. Got his leg broken by that fucker from Stoke. Uh, no, uh, uh, Birmingham. Do you remember? No, I, I, was, I, was, I was about five at the time, Steve. Sorry. It's someone is... Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> he was on TV as well. He's one of the TV yeah. uh, sports, sports broadcasters. Oh, the name will come to me, but he broke McAvenny's leg. Really disgusting, dirty tackle. It was a dirty player. Yeah. They really went after McAvenny, and that really cost him his career, I think. Mm. You might want to ask him about that. Um, but Cotty was, Cotty was another hammer through and through and again um, was and again you know didn't didn't want to really leave everton you know based on the interview he gave to me the other oh, spoiler alert um when we spoke the other day um but uh yeah again it was business they, right yeah it's just business and it it, it was and he came hard. back as well right he, did. he came back and, and they both came back and you know and um they both they both did they both still love the club and they they both you know all you know it's, it, it was 
you, you got that sense that they were they were so that team was so strong at that period of time that um, if it was a little, you know, rather than resting the laurels, a bit more investment into that team, it would have carried on being being a special team. Again, it's it's all too familiar for us, isn't it, West Ham fans? You know, you had that peak and then... Yeah, break it up instead of building on it. You know, yeah. That's, that's, that's sadly been a story. always hiding, um, you know. I have looked everywhere. But Scotty <laughs> Parker mentioned, yeah. definitely a mention for Scotty Parker as such an engine such a unfortunately not a great passer of the ball but I always said with him if he was a great passer on the end of that those runs he never would have played for West Ham I mean yeah. he would have been the England captain he would have been yeah. like a multi-million dollar player the only reason we had a player like that was because he, he wasn't a great passer of the ball mm. so he could you know box to box bring the ball unbelievable engine unbelievable driving force just not that end product was sometimes not there but yeah, if it had been, he wouldn't have been playing for us. So, no. and again, because he was those, such a brilliant yeah, player all round, he was, he was, and, and one, again, one of those players, a bit similar to Julian um, in that respect, where he would, look, you'd almost look at him and he'd almost go fuck it, and he'd put his sock, put his socks up, I'll do it myself, and literally he oh. would. I mean, it was, it was yeah. a crap team he was, he was in. To be honest, it wasn't a good team, but it would have been a lot worse if he wasn't there. A lot right. worse. Um, I want to give a shout out to someone who probably doesn't get much love is Stuart Robson um, yeah because he, he was my, by my reckoning not a hammer through and through I don't know where we got him from but there was this one game he was out for like 12 months or 14 months with a groin strain probably had two or three surgeries looked like his career was over but he was another like 110% always mm. but there was a game I think it was at Villa Park when he, and I think it was his comeback game he was supposed to play like 25 minutes and he, he ran about 100 miles in that game. I'd never, I think it was a nil-nil draw. But I, I don't think I ever, in all my years watching West Ham, I don't think I ever saw anyone run as much and work as hard as he did. And there was one point right near the end, he stayed on for the 90 minutes. And he ran literally from like the right corner flag to the, far, the left corner flag at the other end. And I had never seen anything like it. Yeah. I'd never seen that much commitment from a player. Even having watched, you know, Billy and Julian yeah. and... and Ray Stewart and Alvin Martin and all these human dynamos, Scotty Parker. But just give a shout out to that one absolutely yeah. legendary performance because I think his groin was effed again afterwards as well. I think he just laid it all out there and just had a go. Yeah, you get that, don't you? Robson. Don't you get that? You get that with some plays. You get this sort of mesmeric one game. Um, like I mean, I always I always go back to um, Jonathan Spector against Man United right, right, right. he done fuck all and then literally put him midfield and he was like he was like Perlo you know, he, was, he was amazing you know and scored a hat trick and then that was it yeah. <laughs> that was Stuart it. Slater shout out for Stuart Slater as oh, well Slate, yeah. I don't know what happened to that guy's career because remember he was a ball juggler mm. phenomenal ball juggler he was a phenomenal player but I think with the right management, he could have had a stellar career. I know he went to he went to Celtic, I think right? Too early and, to Celtic. Uh, That's what people say, isn't it? When they talk yeah. about There was there was one game we played. I think it was against Everton, and I think who was the great Everton goalie? It was, yeah, it was Howard Southall. Kendall. It was Southall. Yeah. yeah, I think he made like six absolutely world class saves all off Stuart Slater. There was one run that Stuart Slater did in that game with a smash to the top corner to top it off, and Southall somehow saved it. It would have been the greatest goal I'd ever seen. Yeah, there was one of those days where Slater was untouchable. Just he was absolutely phenomenal. 
but you get that don't you and i think you, that's what that's what's great about the channel is, is there's, there's certain moments like you said you know that game against everton someone else will say a game it'll be i don't know mark ward against someone and and it's all pieces of this sort of pieces of the puzzle and and uh no it's it's it's, it's a good fun and i think you know i mean you haven't even spoken about decanio yet and uh and, and and Hurst, to the other two people you mentioned. I mean, Hurst. As far as Decanio is concerned, everyone knows. You know. Yeah. All, all your viewers know about Decanio. I mean, well, what can you say? Yeah. Um, except that. Yeah. No. Except. No. Decanio, absolute genius. Nutty as a fruit and nut bar. Yeah. Uh, Nazi, fascist, rather. <laughs> I mean, that's just. And my mum. So, my mum loved Paolo Decanio. Yeah. She absolutely loved Paolo Di Canio. She hates, hated Nazis. And I've had to tell this story a lot lately because of what's going on in this country, mm. but you know, I fucking hate Nazis. My, my granddad, my mum's father was, was murdered in front of her by the SS in mm. Poland in 1940, kicked to death. And um, so my mum did not like fascists or Nazis, but she loved Di Canio. And I gave her the book and she read the book, the Di Canio book, <laughs> and she read about his Lazio stuff and the all the neo-Nazi or fascist, neo-fascist stuff and, and the salutes and everything. And she's like, I love the Kenya. <laughs> she, so I kind of followed her lead on that one. You know, yeah. he's Paolo Di Canio, mm. you know, just a fruitcake, um, yeah. product of his, of his environment as well. You know, the Lazio Ultras, uh, I think Roma are the big team. His yeah. team was the, you know, kind of the underdogs, like the West Ham's of, of, of yeah, Rome. Yeah. And um, he, if he'd been born in the East End at, at the time, same time as me, he probably would have been in the ICF, you know. Yeah. Uh, he would have been one of the leaders of the ICF. He would have carried a Stanley knife and he would have done a lot of bad stuff to Chelsea fans. <laughs> and uh, he would have given a lot of Zeke Heil salutes. Um, so one quick story on that front. So we're going to a game in the Midlands and we're at King's Cross Station. Uh, and I'm about 16 or 17. So it's got to be like 1973, somewhere around there. And um, there's a bunch of really hard nuts very racist West Ham fans making a lot of noise singing and they're singing something about black people, something really horribly racist. Mm. And there's this one black guy in the middle of them. And I swear they stopped singing. They looked at their friend and they said, but you're black. And he says, yeah, yeah I'm one of you. And then they all just went back to singing this racist song. It just carries on. So, yeah, I didn't know what to make of that. I felt yeah. sorry for the kit because, mm. you know. So I, I got into politics again, didn't I? So let's go back to number number 10, number eight. Um, who was a great number eight? Ronnie Boyce? Yeah. Ronnie Boyce was number eight, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think he was. Yeah, Brave Brook Boyce and her sisters. Johnny Sissons, another a great uh, left winger. Um, right in my early days because his, his peak was like 65, 66, mm. maybe 64. Um, he was a cracking player, though. Bit of a pin-up, blonde, blonde hair, blue-eyed. Oh, I just did it again, didn't I? Now we're talking about Aryans again. <laughs> Johnny Sissons, left wing. Yeah, great player. Um, yeah. Probably wouldn't make my team, but um, maybe he could be on the bench yeah. if we got a long bench. You've got a long bench. Oh, that sounds like you've probably got another, another 11 players <laughs> on the bench, Steve, to be honest. <laughs> We've got a massive bench. Um, who are we forgetting this? We've got an inside left. We've got oh. centre forwards. Tony Cotty and Jeff Hurst, probably. Yeah. Psycho was a great centre forward, though. Um, 
Psycho is probably underrated uh, as one of the, the, the great battering rams of centre forwards for West Ham. Um, would also run through brick walls for you. Um, he would. He would. He would, yeah. No, I follow no. him on, uh, is it on, on Twitter, I think. Yeah, his daughter's a, his daughter's in the England cricket team, right? His daughter's she a brilliant yeah, cricketer. Yeah, she yeah. yeah she, she helped him set up his Zoom when I called him. Bless her. Brilliant. Yeah, he's a good Brilliant. lad. So he's another adopted adopted company, right? Yeah, definitely. He definitely yeah. is. He's still, and he, he's so thankful about the. Oh, go on, Carlos Tevez. Oh, <laughs> Carlos Tevez. I mean, <laughs> at the have... very least, and then I can't put him on the bench because that was such a. <laughs> we want Tevez on the pitch. So Tevez oh, yeah. has to start. Whoever's on the bench, Tevez has to start. No and way. I think we were talking about right. We're talking about right midfield just to piss off the management. I'm going to put um, Mascherano in there. <laughs> the greatest West Ham player never to play for West Ham. Oh, yeah, but Caleb Mullins took his place, so that's it. Oh, don't get me started. Do not get me started. That, I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes there, but you need someone to come on the show and tell you the story. Mm, yeah, we'll find, we'll find it. We'll find out eventually. <laughs> became like the the center pin of the greatest club football team maybe ever right played 120 140 times for argentina couldn't mm. get in the west ham team because of hayden mullins yeah i know Sat on the bench carlos tevez one of the greatest players any of us have ever seen sitting on the bench a way to fulham at christmas <laughs> you want tevez on the pitch <sighs> Oh man, it's funny. And, and and somehow, somehow, a hammer's legend. Famously, he brought back the older. He did. I'd never seen that before. I don't even remember seeing that growing up. No, playing for playing for Man United. It's not even like it was a West Ham game. I mean, he brought it back. <laughs> so that was the game when that was when he scored in the return game at Upton Park. And he yeah. did that to all, all sides of the ground, right? In a yeah. Man United shirt. Yeah. Actually, honestly, not being funny, one of the best moments I've ever seen as a West Ham fan. Yeah, just that meant a lot to me. It really did. He scored that brilliant goal. Just, just felt bad about it. You know, you could see. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, no, he was. It should be about. Yeah, and it should be. And it's like you know, he made again. He was he was there for a relatively small amount of time, and and he and he made a big impact and a huge impact. You know, as he kept us up. You know, scored the goal. Scored scored the the goal. The goal exactly. Well, I remember Robert Green played an absolute blinder that day as well. Oh, Greeno. As as again, actually, actually, he could easily be the goalie as well. <laughs> Another brilliant goalie. We'll, we'll we'll make the team work, Steve. Somehow, <laughs> to play against themselves. Well, well, nowadays we've got five subs coming on. You know, we've got. We, I think they can put. Uh, this is more like one of those testimonials when you've got like yeah, twenty-seven subs, yeah. rolling subs, rolling yeah, subs. I, I think it's going to be so old that I can't really just have eleven. Well, so we don't have Tevez somewhere and he can't be on the bench. McIverney can't be on the bench because he'd be upset because he used to really piss him off when he was called Super Sub. Um, Cotty obviously never was on the bench, so he's, he's got a place. We're just going to have to play with 17 players. We'll just play with extra players. We'll just do a rolling. But we'll have we'll rolling probably subs. still lose, though. Yeah, rush we'll goalie. Probably still lose, we yeah. probably still would. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, yeah. Steve, it's been brilliant talking to you. I'm going <laughs> to. It's been lovely talking to you. <laughs> You do have. I thought it was going to be fifteen minutes, you know. Well, as always, these ways you start about West Ham, it just goes on, doesn't it? And I, and I think yeah. you will have the the record of the longest episode, so that's something. I mean, 
probably because I'm the oldest person who's been on. <laughs> no, not necessarily, but the most, the, the most stories. So it's been absolutely brilliant. So thank you well, very much. I miss, I miss everyone. I miss Ken's calf. You know, I miss... It's shutting down, isn't it? I miss Upton Park. Down. They shut down, yeah. They, she always, Carol always said they, they closed down when, when, uh, when we moved. Mm. Um, wish I could have been there for the Man United game. I really, really, really do. Mm. Um, one of the best days ever. The best day ever, I would say, was uh, when we got promoted. I came back to Wem- for the for game at Wembley with my family, with Michelle, with Tom, with uh, Laura, his, his wife, who's an Arsenal fan. She wore a West Ham scarf for the day, yes. came to the game with us. Don Peretta, the whole Peretta family, girlfriends, sons, daughters, their, their spouses. That was such a brilliant day out. It was, yeah. It, it was. was. So cool. and, and a shout out to, to, to Cardiff, um, where most people don't know this, but Tom broke, Tom broke his ankle during the game because he couldn't get a ticket for the game. So he's in a pub. He's in a West End pub in Cardiff. I'm at the game. Michelle and Mather at the game. That's, that's my niece, Mad's daughter. But they only got me a ticket on my own. They got me a ticket. So I came back from America for the game. And I'm sitting, I'm the last West Ham fan next to all the Liverpool fans down the side of the ground. And um, Tom's in the pub. And when we scored the second goal to go 2-0 up, he's standing on a chair. He's six foot tall. He's standing on a chair to watch it. The bloke next to him jumps up with his elbow, hits Tom in the face with his elbow by accident, trips his tooth, knocks him off the chair. He falls down the stairs, breaks his leg, wakes up in the hospital at half time. says, what's the score? What's the score? To get Tom on to tell that story. Oh, I will do. Um, will but do. at the end of the game, at the end of the game, Gerard comes over and got an immense reception from the West Ham fans because he was going to be England's captain, right? Very soon in the World Cup. Mm. And the Liverpool fans started singing "You Never Walk Alone," and I actually had my scarf, my West Ham scarf, and I actually swayed and sung "You Never Walk Alone" with them. Tears rolling down my face. Yeah. And then uh, afterwards, I went to meet up with Michelle and Mad, and then Tom comes up on crutches, and every Liverpool fan in Cardiff walks up to us and says. Mate, you really deserve to win. You were robbed. Yeah, I know. It's every one of them, every one of the scouts. It was that was another really, really memorable, historic day. So probably the, the first one because we won and we got promoted, <laughs> yeah. and it was like winning a cup final, even though we didn't win anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was our cup final, and, and then 2006 was 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 absolutely yeah. brilliant day yeah. out as well. Yeah, no, it was good. It was was good. Um, yeah. Anyway, the, Anyway, 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 so obviously thank you to everyone for listening and watching and viewing, um, you know, share, like, subscribe, all that type of stuff. Um, and, and thank you, Steve. And obviously for me and Steve and to everyone watching, stay safe, everyone. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.